We're going to be in the Gospel of John. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to be in the Gospel of John a little bit right now, and then we're going to leave it for a while, and we're going to come back to it. Okay, so I want to read a passage to you from John 14. Jesus is going to say this to the disciples. He's going to say, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So this whole Christmas, we're grabbing onto some themes about Christmas that are pretty common. Last Sunday, Pastor Dwayne talked about gifts, uh, how sort of Jesus is the gift that keeps giving. He's the sort of gift that you re-gift. You know, he's the gift that gives gifts, um, that idea. And alongside of the reality of the gift-giving God is this counterfeit spirit at Christmas about gifts. Um, and this is the interesting thing about Christmas is it draws, it, nothing draws people outside of the kingdom, at least in our country, closer to the faith than Christmas. And yet there's a powerful counterfeit at Christmas that's trying to counteract the real message. So you can be so close and yet so far. And the same is true with peace. Christmas is a time of peace. It's a season of peace and it shows up in our songs, you know, so Silent Night, Sleep in Heaven. Um, that's about as much singing as we're going to get. Okay, yeah, amen, huh? That's the first amen I get. Stop. Right? But we're supposed to sleep in heavenly peace. It's, it's, part, of, it's part of the season. And what you find at Christmas in other songs are images it's quite interesting. Peace is usually most powerfully described. It's actually describing peace sometimes is more effective than using the word. So you'll get a song that starts with, I think, a Nat King Cole, chestnuts roasting by an open fire. That's peace. The whole song is painting a visual picture and then putting you in it. Jack Frost nipping in your nose. I was once... Uh, uh, away. I was in Germany. I was in Heidelberg, which is this old, old city. It's a, and I was there in November. It looked like Christmas. You breathe. The steam came out. I'm on a cobblestone street with, you know, old German houses kind of leaning over you as you walk down. And I saw what I thought were roasted chestnuts. And the reason I thought that is because I'm very bad at my German. But I thought, man, I'm going to buy those roasted chestnuts and I'm going to eat them because they'll give me peace, right? I mean, that's, I'm gonna, I am going to live the song. Well, uh, I learned how bad my German was because they were not roasted chestnuts. And I was about 12 feet down the street, like, <laughs> spitting it out, and all my peace was lost, right? But there's this sense, the Christmas carols, they're painting pictures of peace for you. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know. I'll be home for Christmas. Have a holly jolly Christmas. They all paint this picture, and we're tempted to sort of embed ourselves in the image. And if we can get the image, if we can, if we can make the image happen around us, maybe we'll have peace. I think that's the subtle Christmas promise 
But if you sort of can stack these layered images up, if I, if I get snow at Christmas, Christmas will be better. Something in me feels that and believes that. If I get the right gift, if the right people are in the room and the conversations go the right way, if I get the right number of days off, maybe then I'll have peace. This is the Christmas goal. Now, we're going to come back to Christmas in a second, but I want to deal with, with peace as an idea first because there, there is this Christmas message, which is peace is hiding behind your environment. Get that right, and you get peace. That's the message. That's the, I'm going to call that the counterfeit message of peace at Christmas. So what I want to do is I want to step back and just say, well, what, what is peace really? What, what is it? Uh, and I want to offer you images. Again, I think we have the word peace, but I actually think our gut understands peace better than sort of the word can capture. So I, here's the best peace picture I have. You might have a better one, but I'll give you two. Um, for those of you who have kids, if you have a newborn infant and it's asleep in its crib and it's all nestled up and cuddly and you walk in and it's asleep and it does that little innocent yawn and you, you, you go get, your, you go get your, your spouse and you say, look at it, and you watch it in the dark, that's peace. Amen. That little child's got peace. Amen. Everything's right. There's nothing wrong, right? Safe, calm. It is entirely defenseless and yet perfectly secure. Everything is as it should be, okay? That's kind of a, uh, if you have kids picture. If, if you don't have kids, the, if you can get the same feeling, by the way, when you see like a litter of puppies. <laughs> and this is why we look at these things, by the way. An infant is the only time I ever watch something sleep. Okay, but if you ever see puppies and they're newborn puppies and sort of the one head like hanging on the other head and then all of a sudden it gets in its mind to just chew on the ear of the other puppy and the other puppy's like, yeah. And it's just, it's just, mm, mm, and you watch it and some people like Instagram images of it, like check this out, that's peace. You look at these puppies and it's like, ah, oh, why can't life be like that? That's peace. I just want us to, in our, in our stomachs, in our hearts, know it is in us to long for something where everything is so right that I can be entirely defenseless and yet perfectly safe. That I don't have to have a worry about what is going to happen tomorrow. That, that's peace. Okay, now this is what starts to steal this piece. Okay, so that infant, well, the infant learns to walk, and then your piece is gone, right? <laughs> so there's this feeling of uh, just to use this example of one of the things that steals peace. You know, when the infant's learning to walk, a parent is constantly thinking of what can go wrong. You know, what can go wrong? Well, uh, this this sense of uh, not safe, steals our peace. Anxiousness steals our peace. 
vulnerability. Here's another thing that steals our peace. When you fight with a loved one or a friend, you know that trouble that just sits right there? Like, oh, when you, you can't ever have a perfectly good day as long as you're still at odds with that individual? I would just say, like, relational trouble steals our peace. Why? The sorts of questions that we don't necessarily put words to, but we feel like, why am I not good enough for that person? Or why can I not understand that person? Or, or as I usually ask it, why can't she understand me? Yeah. Right? That why do the gears of humanity grind? Why aren't we synced? Why do we, why do we inherently and intrinsically invent ways to cause trouble for each other? That steals our peace. Here's another one. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says, yeah, we found something in the last test. Something's inside of you and it's about three centimeters long and it shouldn't be there. That steals your peace. Another way of saying this, if, you, if you're still young enough to feel immortal, is if you f- go to work and you find out there's layoffs coming, that steals your peace. There's this, this, both of those produce, what are those, both of those bring to the forefront, you are really not in control. And this world is out of control. You're not in control, and this world is out of control. Nothing, nothing like having something inside of you that is you, that's killing you, and you can't do anything about it. I'm not in control, and my body's out of control. You work your tail off, and you get laid off. So the anxiousness of what could go wrong, the trouble of why... Why are you and I, we both would agree, we all would agree we want to get along and yet we don't. Or we're not really in control. Or here's a fourth one that steals our peace. And I'm sure there's a hundred, but I just want to give you the, the, some of the ones that just come to my mind immediately. When a bond is broken, a bond of trust that destroys peace. It destroys peace. When... You thought, whether it was uh, just a covenant or an agreement, when you thought, this, I could lean on that person. Like, for all of the chaos in the world, I could back myself up to this person and put my weight on this person, and then we could fight together. And then that gives way? That's when you realize there's nothing trustworthy in this world. This world will let you down. This world is not trustworthy. And that steals your peace. I'm sure we've all heard of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, I think there's a lot of reasons for this. Um, But I will say this. I do think at a very, very deep level, much of PTSD is caused by a person who has received a serious, serious wound at a place where peace should have been. I'm talking like a deep scar in their person 
where they realize there really is nothing that's trustworthy or uh, a level of violence that just produces continual anxiety or the sense of trouble, like the world is against me. Something like that, This where some signature act of violence or abuse or betrayal or insecurity or, or maybe even just bizarreness that tells us we are not safe here. I would like to call that our predicament in this world. This is our human predicament. <clears throat> now, some of us feel it more and some of us feel it less because of what's come, but none of us are immune to this sort of chaos. None of us are sort of free from it. We all have shame. And Christmas comes along every year and sort of seems to promise that if you get the right gifts and have the right setting with the right people and the right music with the right weather and you get the right this and the right that and the right mistletoe and the right eggnog and if you just surround yourselves with all the right things, if you just get all of that right, then maybe, just maybe, for a moment, you'll have peace. You see how situational that is? It, it may come to you, but it's going to go. And let me ask you this. If peace, if you have peace that you know is fleeting, are you ever really at peace? Are you ever really at peace? Okay, I want to talk about the notion of peace in Scripture. It's a different kind of peace. I want to call this Christmas peace that I just described counterfeit. Okay? I'm not saying you can't enjoy it. I gotta tell you, I am a sucker for Christmas situational peace. I'll tell you right now, I'm the worst in, I may be the worst in this room. I want it so much, I literally put an outlet, an electrical outlet in the middle of my floor in our room because to me, if I see the, the, the electric cord going from the Christmas tree to the wall, it destroys my situational peace. You know what I mean? I don't, that, that is not right. Yeah, I have, a, I have a train track around my Christmas tree. My kids don't play with it. I set it up every year. It's the only day of the year that at 45, I'm on the floor putting it together because my situational piece is the most important thing to me. Okay? So I'm preaching to the choir here on this, but that. I just want to call that. That being said, okay, I am confronting that as a counterfeit. Mm -hmm. yeah, I want to tell you what the word says, okay? So the Bible, kind of like I told you, that sometimes understanding peace here is, is more powerful than just saying the word, okay? The Bible wisely does not start with the word peace. It doesn't start with the word peace. It starts with an image of peace. By the way, it doesn't even end with the word peace. It ends with an image of peace. So in the Bible, the image we get in the first two pages of the Bible is an image of peace. The Lord makes this world, and, and notice how he's creating it. He's, he's ushering through his power creation out of chaos. So the spirit was hovering over the mists of the deep. There's disorder and chaos, and then God speaks 
And out of the water comes the land. And out of the land comes the trees. And out of the ground comes the animals. And out of the ground comes man. So there's this, this picture of God speaking order out of chaos. And then he gets specific in the second chapter and he builds himself, he builds a garden and in this garden it's a paradise. Everything in this garden is perfect. Every tree in this garden is good for food. Everything's nice in this garden and then he makes the man and the man's good and he puts the man in the garden and he makes the woman and he puts the woman in the garden and the man and the woman in a way that you and I have never appreciated are able to look and enjoy each other without any degree of shame. Like a child in a crib, we are that safe with each other. We are totally unprotected and yet perfectly comfortable with each other. He puts us in this paradise and then walks with us in this paradise. Peace. Peace. Starts with the image of peace. By the way, the Bible is going to end with the same image. So you go to the last two pages of the Bible and you get almost the same image as the first two pages of the Bible. So Revelation 21, and I'll just read this to you because people don't read Revelation nearly as much as uh, they read Genesis. He says, this is John's writing. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. See that sea? That chaos? Gone. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, uh, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. You hear that? Just like the beginning. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe, every, wipe away every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So we know that God created us in an environment of perfect peace. And we know our predicament is not that, but we know that God is bringing us to a place of perfect peace. So here's an interesting thing. The world offers you situational, fleeting, counterfeit peace. And God in his word offers you situational, fleeting chaos because he's bringing you to peace. He's saying this is just a moment. Well, the world is looking at peace and saying, you can have that for just a moment. You see that? So then you get into the body of Scripture, and the word peace shows up. It shows up by the word shalom, which really means order, satisfaction, rightness, as it should be-ness. That's the image. That's what's behind the word shalom in it. It's why the Lord created the world in the six days, and on the seventh day he rests, because everything is as it should be. Peace. God's perspective of peace is not momentary. It can't be momentary because if your peace is fleeting, are you ever really at peace? In the story, as the story of God develops, we find things that are connected to this, this eternal peace that he's bringing us, this non-momentary peace. He starts to say things like, the way that you can be at peace is by following me, do, living as I would instruct for you, adopting the way of life that I've laid out for you. In other words, this is what God says in his scripture. There is no way for you to find peace unless and until you make peace with God. You can't have peace if you don't want to be at peace with him. 
The world promises you a situational peace regardless of who God is. And the Lord says, that's a counterfeit because you can't have it unless you're at peace with me. So between the garden and the city, right, between these two pieces that were made to be perpetual, we are hearkened back by the Lord to say, make peace with me and I'll give you true shalom. That's the promise. And it's found, it's found by walking in the Lord and following the Lord. This looks at the Bible at times like judgment or discipline or justice or righteousness or living beneath God's holy discontent for your behalf. That's what, that's what the path to peace looks like. Real peace is more than a situation. It's based upon our relationship. I want to give you a few ways. Help us think about how the Lord is, in some ways, entirely discontent with our situational pieces. You know, this is how we build peace, with a lot of little pieces. We get them all, we bustle them all up till we can get real peace. God calls that a counterfeit. He says, he says in his word, when we do that, we mask the real problem. I see, when we place our hope in that, we mask the real problem. There's this great passage in Jeremiah. The prophet, he's, indicting, he's speaking the words of the Lord and he's indicting the priests, but I want you to hear what he says. He says about the priesthood, he says, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. They say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. You see what the Lord is so, what the Lord's concerned about counterfeit peace because counterfeit peace runs the risk of covering over your real predicament and making you feel like I can, under my own power and my own steam, cobble together enough feelings of peacefulness for a while that I can sort of anesthetize myself to the real problem. And the Lord says, you don't need anesthesia. Like, you have a serious problem. This brings us to the Gospel of John. So in John 14, Jesus, so I want to just, we're on our way to, to the passage we read, but I want to start with the way Jesus starts in John 14. So at the front end of John 14, he's going he's gonna to talk about peace, but he's not going to say the word. He's actually going to give us an image. He's going to say this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And here's the image, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. There's this picture, once again, of God. In fact, Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a new heaven and earth for you that I'm going to bring. So Jesus has Revelation 21 in mind. I have betrothed myself to you, is essentially what Christ saying. You're the bride. I'm going to go and create a, 
prepare a place to bring the bride, and that will be Revelation 21. But he's saying here, this idea of, I will not leave you alone. I will bring you to a place of peace. That's how John 14 starts. And then there's some questions that follow, and eventually you get to Jesus saying to somebody, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but from you. So it's not simply that God's creating a place. It's this notion of you cannot even begin to enjoy the peace of God unless you are at peace with God. Jesus is the way. If if you want peace without Jesus' lordship, forget it. You cannot have a savior unless you have a Lord, period. And Jesus is saying, the way to this enduring peace is my way. And he goes on to say in John 14, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my commandments. Because the only way to have peace is to be at peace with God. And then he goes on a little bit later in John 14 to say, and I'm not going to leave you alone in that command. I'm not going to say, if you want peace, you better get your life right. I'm going to give sin to you, the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you. So I'm not going to ask the impossible task of you. I'm making a place of peace for you. I'm calling you to follow in me, and I'm giving you my spirit. And at the end of all of that in John 14, 27, that's when he says, at the end of this chapter, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus does not play that game. Not as the world gives do I give to you. I want to close with some thoughts about the world's peace and our predicament in God's peace. The world's peace, we could say, is passing. This season will end. Trust me. I guarantee you, my kids will fight on Christmas Day. No matter what I do, one of them is going to be snarky to the other one. Right? And my peace will be gone, my situational peace. Or, you know how, again, if, you're, if you have like a serious psychological Christmas problem like I do, you know how nice the Christmas tree looks on Christmas Eve with all the presents around? I mean, I arrange them, I stack them, I marvel at them. And then you know what it looks like at 4 p.m. on Christmas Day when it's like Amazon cardboard boxes everywhere and you can't find batteries you wonder why you do this, then your peace is gone, okay? I'm just telling you, your peace is passing. It's gone by 4 p.m. Christmas Day, okay? So this big bill of peace you're getting, soak it up, because it's going to last for about 35 minutes, okay? And then you're going to put the trash down on the wrong day of the week, because, you know, every year, every year you're like, is this the week that they do it? Do we carry the one? Is it a leap year? Your peace is gone. Or you're going to Coles, and you're going to be in a return line that's a mile and a half long, and your peace will be gone. Or it's going to be March, and instead of snow, you're still getting rain in March, freezing rain in March, and you're like, it's just not worth it. These winters up here are just not worth it, and your peace is going to be gone. It's passing. I'm telling you, it's passing. It's fleeting. That's the first thing about Christmas is the best chance the world gives you to get this fake peace. And even that, it's passing. 
Here's the second thing. It's partial. No matter what the world sells you, your predicament will still be here. You're not getting better. It's just covering it up. The world cannot fix your problem. You're still not in control, and this world still will let you down, and you really are not safe, and there is really is chaos, and we really are at trouble with each other, and we really are each other's problems. The peace of the world is partial. It's telling you to ignore it for a while. And here's the third thing about the peace of the world. It is way too personal. If you pursue the world's definition of peace, you can only get it by putting yourself at the center because it's all about arranging an environment around you. You're at the center of that world, which means it's a wildly selfish exercise. And by the way, person over here is cobbling together around them this feeling of peace. Little do they know or appreciate that that's coming at someone else's expense very often. So what we have is a world of six billion individuals trying to create for themselves through exertion their peace for themselves taking happening at the cost of the other 5,999,999,999 people. That's what we do. We produce in our efforts to get our peace, we cause the chaos for others. That is the truth. It's passing, it's partial, and it's way too personal. Now I want to share with you God's peace. And I'm, gonna, I'm sharing this to you in a way that's inviting you to the Lord, so I don't, uh, particularly here, and not as though I know this in Hocassin either, but I don't know who knows the Lord here and who, who doesn't. I assume some know the Lord. I assume that some think they follow God. And I wonder if some here don't. Okay, so I want to say this as, a, as an invitation. I want to tell you about God's peace. But I want you to know this. I am not going to sell the faith to you. I want to tell you, because all of these things are going to sound good for a moment, but I'm not going to close the deal on you because they actually are very troubling realities. Okay? So, here's the first one about God's peace. It's not passing, it's permanent. It's eternal. Now, that sounds good, right? I'll take that. But here's the reality. So I just want to give you what's on the written on the back of the product. That means if you choose to follow God, right? Because you cannot have a Lord, and a Savior, unless you have a Lord. Let's accept it. If you choose to follow God to get this lasting peace, he's going to ask things of you. He's going to demand that you live as though you know that eternal peace is coming. Okay, so he's going to say, well, if you have eternal peace coming, you know, just like I said, if your peace is passing, are you ever really at peace? Well, the, the opposite is true. If you're coming into a eternal peace and your chaos is passing, does this chaos really have any control over you? The answer is no. So if you accept the peace of God, he's going to treat you as though you ought to live as though this chaos does not have any enduring effect on you. 
He's gonna ask you to step to places that you would not normally step because that's not safe or it's risky or there's something could go wrong. And he's gonna say, wait a second, have I not secured for you an eternal peace? You see, you may not want this, okay? You may not want it. And we should remember that the Lord said, there's gonna come a day when many, many people said the name of the Lord and yet the Lord's gonna say, I only know a few of you in the room. So let's just appreciate the demand of confessing the eternal peace of God. That's the first one. Here's the second one. God's peace is not partial. It is whole. It is complete. Which again, I know you want that. But there's something that comes with it, which is, because God's peace with you is entire and complete, that means the moment he makes peace with you, he declares war on the rest of you. You hear that? He is gonna now come, because when we make peace with God, it's only sort of the brightest moment that we're making peace with the Lord, but there's all this stuff off stage and behind the curtain that we haven't revealed, we don't even know about ourselves, all these other things that we think are really ours, and he's gonna demand to be Lord over all of those other things. So peace with God is actually a declaration of war against all the members of your body that have not yet come into complete agreement. So, the best peace you can have is going to cause the most turmoil you can imagine. Because the Holy Spirit is going to start tilling you up. Pulling the rocks out of your field so he can plant straight rows finally. That's the second thing. And here's the third thing. God's peace is not self-centered, it's God-centered. Which I don't know if that sounds good to you even on the face of it. What I mean is, here's, here is the psychology of it. If you really, really want to be whole and safe and calm, then you need to come to the conclusion that life is really, really not about you. It's not about you. It is about him. Now, you remember there's mathematicians way back in the day, okay, long before we were around, there were these brilliant mathematicians who actually could crank the math to prove that the earth was at the center of the universe. Okay, they weren't just stupid. Actually, they were brilliant. If You know, that the sun went around the earth and that... You know, for them, like, the moment you do that, the moment you say the Earth is at the center and the sun's doing this, well, then computing the orbit of Mars becomes bizarrely, it's like high-level math. What does Mars do if the Earth is at the center? Okay? I'm just saying, we wake up, we're born brilliant mathematicians that are convinced that we're at the center. We're at the center. And I'm saying, you can convince yourselves you're at the center. You can convince yourselves your whole life you're at the center. It's not because you're stupid, but it's because you're smart you think you're at the center. I'm saying if you make peace with God, he's going to simplify things by taking you out of the center and making you orbit him. And then things will begin to finally make sense. So I say it that way because we do not want to be sold the kingdom of God in a partial way. And so you may be here this morning 
And you may say, I want to be at peace, but I don't want all of that. And then I would say to you, well, this season you should just turn the music up a little louder. And who knows, maybe you can have peace for a couple days. It's your choice. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we come to you uh, confessing that we have heard and seen in your word truth. So uh, every heart in this room and every pair of ears, Lord, we, how we respond to your truth is now the question. We thank you, Lord, that you've pursued us. We remind ourselves that you are the Emmanuel, you're the Prince of Peace, you are the everlasting God, and that you have come, that John the Baptist heralded you and you came to make peace with man and to set up your kingdom. And so, Lord, all of, all of Christmas folds into this image of this invitation to your eternal, whole, God-centered peace. And Lord, we pray, my prayer for us is while we enjoy the tradition of Christmas, which in some ways is so nourishing and yet so earthly, that we would not bite off on the counterfeit. I pray, Lord, that even if, if we've received your peace and are in that glorious battle with you uh, for our life, as we seek to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. I pray, Lord, that in all of this, you might give enough of your spirit into us that we can share your peace with others, that we can re-gift Jesus. And Lord, we confess to you that we're not enough. We need your Holy Spirit. We pray this, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.